You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Uh, so like I said, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we find ourselves this morning, and we're making our way through this letter that Paul has written to the church. It's his second letter, possibly his third, but most likely his second letter to the church, and there was a bit of a contentious relationship between Paul and the church. Paul had a hand in founding the church and getting it going. He shared the gospel with a lot of these people and uh, sort of was the leader and director of the church. He was their pastor. But then as he would move on to other areas of ministry, in his absence, the church started to accept and believe some things that were not uh, according to what Paul had taught them and what he had uh, discipled them in. And so, as a good pastor would, he would write letters back to them or send messengers back to them and say, you need to correct these behaviors. You need to correct the things that are not right so that you as the church of Jesus Christ, the representation to the world of Jesus, are behaving and, and functioning in a way that brings glory to God. And so that's sort of the purpose as Paul writes these letters and here towards the end of the letter, like I've mentioned before, he really deals with two subjects. He deals with uh, giving and generosity of the church. He has uh, told the Corinthians, I know your financial state. I know that you have an abundance of resources right now. But there are other churches, specifically the church in Jerusalem, who's incredibly impoverished. They're poor right now. So because God has blessed you, Take the things that God has given you, the resources that you have, send them, be generous and send them to the church at Jerusalem so that they can be blessed. You know, the whole theme of the letter, a huge part of it is that we comfort other people with the comfort that we've experienced in our life. So when we've gone through something hard or a tragedy in our life and we've experienced comfort, whether it be through a scripture that somebody shared, a meal that they brought, or just the very presence of sitting with us and being with us, when we've experienced that, when we know that someone else is struggling in life, that's what we have to offer them is the comfort that we've received. I was There's several tragic things that took place. There's always tragic things taking place in the world around us, but very specifically things that were fairly close um, to my knowledge this week that took place. Young man took his life up in, up in Portland. It's extremely sad. Just a tragedy. He was 15 years old. And the, the discussion was around what can you do? What can you say to someone who's experienced the tragedy of something like that? And not just suicide, but any kind of loss. And it doesn't matter if someone's young or old. When you lose someone, when someone passes on from this life, there's, there's, it's tragic, no matter what it is. Even if it's someone who's lived a good long life, when they're gone from this life, that's a weird thing to get used to. So how is it that you bring comfort to someone like that? And that was the big question on the radio and the discussions that were going on around this, this topic that took place this week. And there were several people who said, you know what? It's a weird thing that when you're going through something tragic, when you're experiencing something that's really, really hard emotionally, you want to be alone, you want to isolate yourself a lot of times so that you don't have to share that pain with other people, and yet there's this weird dichotomy that you also sort of need people around. And so one of the best things you can do in comforting someone who is going through a tragedy is just being present. You don't even have to have, quote unquote, the right words to say. In fact, sometimes saying something is the worst thing to do. 
but just being there and sort of pressing yourself into that relationship. There was a psychologist who was weighing in on this issue of, of how we bring comfort to people who are going through tragedy. This psychologist was advising someone who had just experienced a loss in their life. They said, make sure that you build up a community of people that you can trust around you because in three months, everybody else is going to be gone. It's a weird phenomenon that they can track and find that when someone's gone through tragedy, for about 90 days, people are bringing casseroles and they're stopping by and they're calling you and texting you, but then after 90 days, they have to get on with the rest of their life and they forget or they just don't know how to maintain that kind of connection and that's when people often need it the most. And so, so the advice was to build up people around you that can bring you just, just comfort by their presence and just by, by having them be in your life. Paul is a great example of this to the church. He's just up in the Corinthians business. It's not like he was just like, hey, we're a church and then I'm going on to this next ministry and I'm leaving you behind. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to be up in what you're doing and I'm aware of what's going on and I'm here to encourage you in how to function and how it's your turn to bring comfort to someone else. And he does this through the discussion of giving. And I said last week that giving is probably the, the, the one thing, I, if I never talked about anything from the Bible again, it would be the topic of giving. I don't like talking about it, right? It just has this weird sense or feeling to it, and perhaps it's because we've seen so many bad examples of teaching on money or churches or pastors or ministry leaders that have sort of like abused this issue of money and giving, and, and so it's all been about money, 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 and me, 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 and building little empires to themselves, and, and that's sad, because that's not the intent that God has for this discussion, and so when we dive deeper into it, and we start to understand um, why Paul is, is talking so much about giving, it's because we can start making the connection to how giving is a reflection of our heart towards the Lord because he gave everything for us, right? When we start understanding Jesus in the right context, that he endured suffering, shame, punishment, pain, so that we don't have to, when we start to understand that he gave his life completely for us, then it started, sort of turns that topic on its head a little bit and goes, oh, well, if Jesus gave all of these things for my sake, well, then everything that I have, which scripture tells me comes from the Lord anyway, I should be willing to give it to him, give everything, including my money and my time and my relationships and my possessions, everything, my whole life. If Jesus gave his life for me, I should be willing to give my life for him. And I think we start to see some of that in the concept of giving today as we'll look in chapter 9. One of the things you start to see when you read all of Scripture, not just individual topics or individual sections, but, but all of Scripture, you start to see how all the little individual ideas or topics in Holy Scripture come together and form a much larger story. So when, when Paul talks about giving, right, or he's going to go on and talk about suffering for the sake of Jesus, he's not talking about those things just for the sake of talking about giving and money or suffering for the sake of suffering. It's a part of God's redemptive narrative. 
it's a part of this story that God is sharing with all of his creation, right? His perfect creation, our fall, our, our choice to sin, right? But then the redemption that he provides for us through Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, and then the glorification that ends up happening that we have to look forward to of eternal life. So when you understand this big picture, how everything in scripture connects, reading the Bible becomes very fun. It becomes this big adventure in understanding God's story. And a part of that here is giving, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Well, to begin, as we jump into verse 6, we'll read verses 6 through 11. That'll be our text for this morning. But understand that the prime principle of giving, as we learned last week, is grace. Giving begins and ends with the grace of God. And this is the foundational principle that I think helps us relate every topic in the Christian life, no matter what it is. Being a part of a church, coming and giving up an hour on Sunday mornings, or coming to Bible study on Wednesday nights, or having fellowship with people, having them over to your house for dinner, or inviting a friend that you know to come to church and, and to experience what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. All of these things come not because we have the power to do them ourselves, but because God gives us his grace. And so giving, receiving, being a part of the mission that Jesus laid out for us, all of it is grace. So let's take a, second, take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Last week we learned that there were these principles of giving that, that um, Paul was teaching the church. That all giving comes from the grace of God. That the giving that we do should come out of our experience of affliction so that we can comfort others. That's the motivation for giving is that we've received comfort because someone else gave to us, so we reciprocate that. We give so that someone else can be comforted. And then we give according to our means. Paul gives the instructions that, that the idea of giving shouldn't be a burden. It, it's not something that we should go into debt for. It should be something that we plan for and prepare for so that we can be a blessing to people. In fact, that's the context that Paul lays out this instruction in verses 6 through 11 for. Paul has given some, some um, instructions to the church. He says, I'm sending Titus to you, and I'm sending these other brothers to you to, to receive this collection so that they can take it to the church in Jerusalem who has need of it. And so the context of what Paul says here that we're going to go over, verses 6 through 11, is that you should have your gift or your offering prepared ahead of time. Before there's an actual need for it, you should actually have that, that gift that you want to give set aside. It should already be prepared, meaning you should think about this. 
It's not show up at church and, oh, what do I have in my pockets? And then let me give that to the Lord. No, there should be a thought that goes into it ahead of time that goes, Lord, I'm considering all the things that you've given me. And here it is. In fact, some of the other instructions that Paul will give is like set some aside every week. When you get paid, set a little bit aside every week and go, no, that's for the Lord. And I'm going to save that aside here so that I can give that to the Lord, whether it be to the church so that the church then distributes that to those who have need, because oftentimes that's the conduit that God uses, or I'm going to just set some aside so I have this little fund over here. And so when I hear of someone who's struggling or having a hard time, I can, I can already be ready to give. The point is just to think about what it is you want to give ahead of time. And the other context that, that Paul gives uh, in the first section of chapter 9 is that when you've prepared your gift in advance, you should follow through with giving. As we said last week, there's that old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's many people who have a desire to do what is good and what is right. They want to honor the Lord. They want to be a blessing to other people. But then somehow this intention sort of just gets sidelined by all of the other concerns and priorities that we have in life. And, and somehow that, that thought of, I want to be a blessing to someone, just sort of gets sidelined. Paul says not only should you think about what you want to give and prepare it in advance, but you need to follow through with it. You, you, that's why I'm sending these guys to you, to make sure that you actually follow through with the intention that you have of being a blessing to someone else. So what we see in verses 6 through 11, with that context in mind, Paul telling the church, prepare in advance and then follow through on your giving. Paul gives us five principles here that we can learn from. Five principles that we can learn from that further that idea of how is it that I'm supposed to consider giving in the Lord? Why would I want to give time or money or resources or whatever that might be? And Paul explains why by giving these five principles. Now, here's the thing. There's a big difference between um, five principles that God teaches us from the word versus a five-step plan for success. This is not a five-step plan for success. This is not God's five steps to financial independence and security. That's not what this is. Understand that discipleship and, and knowing the Lord, there is no mechanism that allows that to happen. It's simply our will. God speaks to us. He teaches us through the scripture. The Holy Spirit draws us to himself spiritually and miraculously oftentimes. But there is no mechanism that we can apply to our life. Here, follow these 10 steps to holiness. There is no mechanism for that. There are principles in scripture that we learn that when we place those alongside our will to serve the Lord, our desire to be holy, even as Jesus is holy, these principles sort of undergird us. They build us up and they help us to understand how it is that we can pursue holiness in Jesus. And so like I say, this isn't the five steps to financial planning in the Lord. That's not the point. But five principles of giving that should justify or should help us understand why it is that we want to be thoughtful about what we give and to follow through with our intention of giving. Let's read it again. Again, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Principle number one in giving here is that give a little, get a little. Give more, get more. Now, 
This is a hard way to explain this, and yet it's what Paul says. Give a little, get a little. Give more, get more. Our Americanized human brains process that statement. Give a little, get a little, give more, get more. We process that through our investment knowledge, right? That if I give $10 to the Lord, that must mean that he's going to give me 20 in return. That it's somehow this, this spiritual investment that I make that if I give, then the Lord's going to bless. And listen, here's the sad part. There are people who actually teach that. They actually take scripture like this and go, see, if you give to the Lord, he's going to return and he's going to bless you tenfold or whatever the case might be. But remember, 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 when we elevate this topic of giving beyond just dollars and cents and we consider it from the perspective of Jesus gave his whole life for me, so it's only reasonable that I give my whole life for him, including my money, we can understand that, that the investment isn't corollary in the sense of it's not just dollars and cents. I may give the Lord money. That might be part of my offering and my sacrifice to him. And maybe what he blesses me with in return isn't necessarily dollars and cents. Maybe it's strong relationships. Maybe it's a ministry of some kind where I get to share the gospel with people. Maybe it's something that, that if I did have money, the money would just get in the way because my pride would get in the way or my selfishness would get in the way. But maybe my faithful giving to the Lord, the more that I give him everything, my attention, my time, my money, he returns to me in ways that are going to be a blessing to him and just good for me, good for my heart, good for my mind. But the, the principle holds true. Give a little, get a little. Give more, get more. I hope that our hearts don't just set on the financial aspect of that, but that we understand that there is so much that God wants to give us. Peace, joy, love, faithfulness, fellowship. He wants to bless us with so many things. And when we take our minds off of ourselves and we just give fully to the Lord, man, he returns that investment in multiple ways. Take a look now at the scriptures. It says in verse seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Principle number two in giving. Give because you want to, not because you have to. I said it last week and I bear saying again, don't ever, ever, ever give because somebody with a microphone stands up and tells you that you have to give. Don't ever fall under that, that, that teaching or that compulsion or that guilt trip of think about all the poor starving kids in Africa, right? Like, and listen, that's true. There are, we should be aware of those things. And there are people who minister to those things directly, but don't allow that guilt trip to be the reason that you're giving. Why? Because God doesn't want or need your money if it's coming from a place of obligation or guilt, what God desires from you is that you give joyfully, cheerfully, freely. Perhaps you've heard it explained, that word cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. It comes from the Greek word hilarion. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's pretty obvious to know what word we get from that, from that Greek root. Hilarious, right? 
That's, that's the whole idea that God says he loves a cheerful giver. He loves someone who's just so joyful and just like, take my money, whatever. God's blessed me. My bills are paid. I have clothes on my back and food to eat. Everything else is available. I, I can give according to my means, means in regard to this is what I have over and above. And so why don't I just give all of that to the Lord? God loves a cheerful giver. There never should be a sense of guilt or obligation but rather a desire just to be a blessing. Take a look at verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God, if there were no greater two words in all of Scripture, I'm not sure what they are. And God, or other places in Scripture where it says, but God, right? How great is that? Like, here's our human condition, and we're struggling with life, but God. Here's this hard situation we're in, and we don't understand how it's going to work out or how we're going to get out of it, but God. Here's this, this talking about being a, a cheerful giver. And okay, I'm supposed to be a cheerful giver. Maybe I'm struggling with that a little bit. But then look what it says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Principle number three in giving Give what God supplies. Give what God supplies. Everything comes from the Lord, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency, so that you have enough in all things at all times, you may be able to abound in every good work. This intention that Paul talks about following through with, right? He's sending these messengers to Corinth and saying, Think ahead of time about what you want to give, and then here's the deal. Follow through with it. That intention that you have in your heart to give to the Lord or to someone else as a way to worship the Lord and bless the Lord, Paul says that God's going to give you everything you need so that at all times you have the ability to do good work. And again, we have to take our minds off of just the financial aspect of things. Maybe there are seasons in life where we're in poverty, where we have food and clothing, and the word says we're supposed to be content with those things. Well, maybe that's all we have at that moment is the food on our table and the clothes on our back. But has God, by his grace, given to us other things that we can abound in giving to others? The ability to sit and spend time with someone who, who's grieving. The ability to call someone on the phone and go, man, you're on my heart. Can I just pray for you right now, right? The ability to come and, and take what meagerness you might have in the world's eyes, but share that with others in the Lord and watch how God just blesses that and causes it to abound. Give what God supplies. And understand this. Very often, God supplies things to us miraculously, there are those who don't believe that, that God still works in the miraculous, in the spiritual today. I find that to be such a, a, a dour, like, like sad understanding. I think oftentimes why we don't experience perhaps the miraculous things in our life is because we don't focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit 
If we're more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day interactions, our understanding of the world around us, understanding that the things that are challenging us and that we're fighting are spiritual in nature, not just fleshly in nature, when we start to understand that and really live with an understanding of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, you will start to see things that can only be described as miraculous. How things couldn't have happened other than the Lord intervened spiritually. Give what God supplies. Take a look at the next scripture, verse nine. It says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which, God, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Principle number four, why we should give or the principles of giving. Give because it grows your righteousness. Give a little, get a little. Give more, get more. Give because you want to, not because you have to. Give what God supplies, understanding that as we're aware of the Holy Spirit, often that happens miraculously. But number four, give because it grows your righteousness. Look at verse 10 again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Give more, get more. God provides everything. It's all his anyway. He provides the seed for the person who's planting it into the ground, right? But if we take what God's given us and plant it into the ground, the return, again, is not necessarily dollars and cents or physical things, right? Perhaps the most important thing is the increase of the harvest of our righteousness. You know, we understand that when you believe upon Jesus for salvation, you and I are what's called positionally righteous. The Lord looks at us and says, I don't see you in your sin anymore. What I see is the blood of Jesus having washed those sins away so that when you stand before the Lord, he sees you as holy and righteous. We are what's called positionally righteous before the Lord. But here's the, here's the rub. Until we're actually in the presence of the Lord in our glorified state, you and I are all de- still dealing with the flesh. We're still dealing with our sin. And so what we receive as instruction from the scripture is, 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 as Paul says and Jesus says, be holy even as I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart from anything else that is not holy. That's what righteousness looks like. The person who chooses to do what is right in every circumstance. And by doing that, they become more holy. These are words that sometimes we feel a little bit uncomfortable about, talking about, well, we're supposed to be holy. I thought only God is holy. Yeah, but we're made in his image. And even though we've been separated by sin, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so we're called into a life of pursuing holiness. We get there by choosing what is right, choosing what is good, choosing what is beautiful. These are the things that we see that draw our hearts away from the sinfulness of the world and towards the holiness of Jesus. 
as we attempt to emulate him. And so Paul says giving, one of the benefits of giving, taking what God's given and then, and then giving it away, is that it increases our righteousness. It means it's the right thing to do. Don't hoard your stuff. Don't take the things God has given you and go, nope, I'm just going to enjoy everything God's given me and it's just me. No, no, no. Give that stuff away. It will increase our righteousness. There is a simple formula for holiness. We're called to be holy as Jesus is holy. Here's the formula for holiness. Discipline plus sacrifice equals holiness. Discipline plus sacrifice equals holiness. Where do we get that formula from? Jesus and his example. What what does Jesus say? He says, I only do what my father tells me to do. Jesus simply did what was right at all times. He was disciplined that even in the face of temptation, even in the face of Satan saying, I can give you everything here in the world that, that you might want if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus goes, get away from me. Don't tempt the Lord. Jesus always chose what was right. He was disciplined. And then Jesus ultimately, like we said earlier, sacrificed himself. He gave his whole life for us. He was perfect. Because of that discipline, he was perfect. He didn't have to go die on the cross, but he chose to. He chose to sacrifice his life knowing that it would be the substitute for you and I. He would take our place in that death. And so that's the formula. Discipline plus sacrifice equals holiness. That should be our trajectory. That's what we should be applying to our lives. So give because it grows our righteousness. And then finally, verse 11 again, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Give because it increases other people's thanksgiving. In the same way that you and I have received in the times of our life when we had need, and what did we do? Praise God. How is it that this happened? This is miraculous, Lord. You've provided for us. I don't know where the money came from. I don't know who sent it. I don't know why they sent it. But praise God. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, for giving us the things that we have need of. If we've experienced that, hey, guess what? When you give to someone else in their time of need and you bring comfort to them, what happens? They're thankful. They're thankful to God. And we are to be a people, the scripture tells us, that are supposed to live with a spirit of thanksgiving and rejoicing. We're supposed to be a thankful people. How does that happen? By everybody else giving and serving and sacrificing. So we're to give because it increases others' thanksgiving. You know, giving, of course, does have to do with material possessions. And we see time and time again Paul making the allusion to the fact that God's the one who's supplying the things that we have, whether it be money or the breath in our lungs or the resources that we have or the time that we have available to serve people. God supplies all of those things. But, but I want you to understand that, that there's something, there's a subtext here that, that Paul makes an allusion to. Take a look at verse 10 again with me. Paul says he, 
meaning God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Discipline plus sacrifice equals holiness. Choosing what is right leads to holiness. And that's a good principle for us to understand. But when Paul starts talking about seeds and sowers, what does that remind you of? Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Take a second and flip over there. That's where we're going to end our time. Paul says that the one who provides the seed to the sower, the one who provides the seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply and supply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear here. In scripture, seed is described as the word of God. And we are called as Jesus's disciples, his followers, those that he has sent out into the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We have been called to go out and plant seeds who gives us the seed? It's the Lord. He's the one who gives us his word to plant into other people's hearts. Jesus would explain in another part of scripture that the soil has to do with the heart of a person. The seed is God's word. And so we take God's word. And and as God increases that word in us, as we hear it, as we read it, as it's taught to us, and we get a grasp on it, that seed that God gives us of his word, we take that and we go plant it in people's hearts. We just go speak God. We just absolutely have to know the word to be able to accomplish this. One of the early church fathers says, says, lack of knowledge of scripture is lack of knowledge of God. To not know the scripture means you don't really know God. And it's obvious here that we have to have the word to be able to plant it into people's hearts. But I want you to hear again what Paul said. He who supplies seed to the sower, right? You and I are the sowers. The seed is God's word. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Not only do we have the seed of God's word to plant into people's hearts, but we also have the bread of life to offer people. The bread of life, quite simply, is Jesus. We have God's word to plant in their hearts, and if faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word, but we also, quite simply, have the bread of life to give to people. Say, here's what we have to sustain you, 
to nourish you, to help you grow and abound in righteousness. We have Jesus to offer. Paul ended that section in talking to the Corinthians by saying that they would be enriched in every way by God's grace so that they could be generous in every way. When we think about giving, man, it's really my heart and prayer for us that, yeah, as God provides financially for us, that we can give, that we have the ability that at the end of the year we could look back and say, not pridefully, but God, thank you for providing for us so that we could give thousands of dollars to EEM so that Bibles can be published and produced and distributed in Eastern Europe to people who didn't have Bibles before. Lord, thank you that you provided for us so that somebody who had to have their car fixed, we could help pay for their car repairs. And and we, as your hands and feet, Jesus, were able to be a blessing to someone. Man, I hope that's true. I, I pray that that would be true. But I also pray that we wouldn't just think about giving from the perspective of money, but that we would give and be generous in every way, relationally, that we would spend time with people, getting to know them and just having fellowship with them and, and perhaps even spending time and, and really disciplining ourselves to spend time with people that perhaps we wouldn't normally spend time with. Look for the person who's perhaps alone or an outcast in some way and bring them into experiencing God's love and grace and acceptance through Jesus, who is the bread of life. And so my hope and prayer is that as we learn to give materially, financially, we would give all the more and sacrifice our time, the gifts God's given us, and do it all for the sake of the growth, the abundance of righteousness that comes by pursuing Jesus.